if you were 80 years old and you were sitting in a rocking chair on your front porch, you know that rocking chair test? You were sitting on your front porch and you were looking back at your life. What are you happy that you did? And what are you happy that you didn't do? And that's always been really helpful with the really big decisions. Do I want children? It's the Health in the Real World podcast. It's time to start the show with Chris Jenke as your host. Here to give you everything that you need when it comes to fitness strategies. We keep it simple and easy. It's your roadmap to get healthy. You don't need equipment and you don't need a gym. Just the right strategies to get you fit and trim. The Health in the Real World podcast is sponsored by most exercises and workouts, whether they be running, biking, elliptical, rowing machine, traditional weightlifting, or even CrossFit, do not give you a balanced workout. And when you do workouts that neglect even one area, you're out of balance, resulting in pain and injury as well. Achieve your goals with the fitness program your chiropractor would love. Visit chrisjenke.com pod to watch the free video. Hello and welcome to Health in the Real World. I'm Chris Jenke and I'm joined today with Suzanne Yatim Aslam and she is the author of a very interesting looking book and uh, I want to share it with all of you guys watching this. First of all, Suzanne, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Um, Tell us a little bit about your kind of the background as far as how you went about creating uh, this book about kind of postpartum depression and the ups and downs and and your experience of it. Yeah, um, so the book is called Postpartum Me and the byline is a fickle woman spiral into postpartum depression and anxiety and how the hell she found her way out of it, sort of. Um, And the reason I mentioned that right off the bat is because it's meant to be kind of a dark comedy on postpartum depression because if you are going through depression and you choose to read my book, I don't want you to finish the book and then be more depressed. So, you know, I wanted you to laugh a little bit along the way um, and enjoy, enjoy the journey. Um, it's a memoir based on my experience with my first son when I experienced postpartum depression and anxiety, and I didn't know I was experiencing it for half the time that I was dealing with it. Um, so there's just a lot of kind of chaos along the way that I experience and you experience when you're reading it. Um, and, uh, I wrote it because I was really frustrated that I couldn't find people to talk to about my particular issue with postpartum. Mine being that I I had felt like Sammy, my son had ruined my life and his existence just kind of ruined my own. And people don't talk about that because that's a really, really terrible thing to say about your child. And um, if people were thinking it, they didn't say it out loud. And I thought I can't be the only person thinking this. I mean, I'm not very, I'm not that special. So you're not the only person I haven't even birthed a kid, but I've thought those thoughts about my kids. You You understand. So I just wanted to say those things out loud in a place where it was okay and make it okay for other people. So I'm not a medical professional. This is just my own experience of dealing with depression and anxiety after having a child. And I just kind of want to hold the hands of some mamas and just, you know, let you know it's okay. Nice. Well, just the way you describe the book, it seems like a book that would be appropriate for uh, an expectant mom, uh, a new mom, uh, someone who is a mom of maybe even an older child or someone who knows someone who's going to be a mom. Like I I could read it, right? I mean, it's it's entertaining. It's uh, enlightening. I can, you know, help friends out and things like that. Yeah. So I kind of wish I had something like this before I had children. So I knew 
what to expect. You know, like I talk about just sort of the, the chaos of labor and how you come out of it and you're sort of in this fog and it's a bit of shell shock and all those things. I didn't know that stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, if I had a book like that beforehand that I could read, that wouldn't freak me out, you right. know, this, this kind of, it's, it's hopeful at the end. So, um, I, I would have loved that. Or if you're in the middle of it and you know, you're sitting there nursing your baby at two in the morning and you're, you're going to read, I, I read in the middle of the night when I was nursing Sammy, cause he would take forever to eat. Right. Um, so, uh, if I had, you know, a book like that, I would know that, okay, this is like, what I'm going through is either normal or, Hey, I think I might need some help here because it might, one of my issues was I didn't know that I needed help. And then once I knew I needed help, I didn't know how to ask for that help. Cause when you're depressed, you're not really thinking very logically. Right. And your whole, like, everything is about supporting this young little being and they're so needy and they, you know, round the clock. And, you know, it just occurred to me that there's so much like medical information that they give you when, you know, leading up to your birth, right? Like all kinds of medical stuff, but this, your book seems really interesting and, and very needed because it's like, this is my actual experience. Like, this is what I went through. And to hear more of that, it seems like that would be so beneficial for an expectant mother. Well, it was really frustrating because yeah, I took a, I took a birthing class and you know, like how to push out your baby. Cool. But I also have a doctor there, a midwife there. My mom was there. My husband, like I had all this, I had this huge support system to help me push this baby out. When I got home and my husband was with me, but he's never had a child before. And anytime Sammy did anything, weird that we thought was weird. You know, we would Google it. And like, we were like, what did people do before Google? Like, how did right. they, out? how did they do this? And, right. and, you know, there were, so there were so many things I, I got really angry afterwards because I was like, I have no idea what to do with this person that I have yeah. brought into the world. You're handing him to me and you're like, okay, good luck. Goodbye. And, you know, you send me on my way with this child. You didn't tell me what to do with him. And none of it came natural to me. Like even pushing the baby didn't come naturally to me. And they had to tell me when to push. And I remember being really, really frustrated that I felt like my body was failing me. Like my, my maternal motherly woman instincts were failing me because I didn't know the most basic things. And that's something that just from what I've seen, obviously, um, you know, I've witnessed four births, I have four children. And just from what I've seen is that there's so many different things that could happen. And every birth, seems like every birth is different to me, you know, in the four births that I've seen are, they were all completely different. And I, I think if you can bring some light around that, that, you know, women, as far as the judgment, right. Cause I've heard people say similar things to what you just said, like they uh, sort of felt like their own maternal instincts were failing them. Right. And so that's, that's something, whether it's giving birth or whether it's getting healthy or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, that's something that, you know, obviously we always want to kind of try to get in touch with our own inner, you know, drive and our inner uh, instincts is what I'm trying to say. However, if we feel like we're missing the mark, that's not something to judge ourselves over. It's just, you know, let's, let's try to figure this out in this one particular circumstance. Right. Right. But if, if you're, if you're a woman and you've been told since the dawn of time, this is how women do things. And this yeah. is what these were created to do. And we just know, and, you know, you, I would hear women who are pregnant where they're like, I just know it's a girl. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, what, what are you hearing? And right. how can I don't hear it, you know, or people were like in love with their belly, with their baby inside their belly. Like even before they were, even before they were conception that, you know, like these women had already like 
envisioned the child and then was in love with this hypothetical person. And I wasn't like that. And so I was like, why? Like, am I wrong? Are they romanticizing it? Like who's, who's right, who's wrong, which of course there isn't a right and wrong, but you see, you see that for the most part. And because I didn't respond that way, I was like, oh, well, I'm the wrong one. I'm broken. I am a robot. And I thought it was sort of like void of emotion. I'm also not a very emotional person to begin with. Like, I don't like crying. It's very uncomfortable to me. So when women were like very like glowy and goddesses, and then I wasn't that I felt yeah, like, like I, I had done something wrong or I was, I hadn't figured it out in my, like, where, where's that femininity that I was supposed to have, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. So there, there was like an expectation that you maybe had based on everything, in, Movies, people. Right. Right. And, and with everything again, like whatever is the loudest is what we tend to focus on. And those women who feel that way, they feel so you know, divine and in touch and that, oh, I know my baby's a girl, right. You know, they're going to be much more vocal than the woman who's like, damn, I don't feel anything. <laughs> like, why did you right? say that out loud? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I think it's great. Like when you were describing the book, I think it's fantastic that that perspective of like, wait, I, I'm not feeling that. Like you're voicing yeah. that because I'm sure it's at least 50% of women are not feeling all glowy, glowy and like, oh, isn't this kumbaya? Wonderful, right? Right. Uh, I remember I was, um, it, this is a chapter in the book and uh, I was about 10 weeks pregnant and I had endometriosis before I had, um, before I was pregnant. And so I've had like a lot of issues in my reproductive areas, lots of ovarian pain and just, just craziness. Um, and so I'm about 10 weeks pregnant and I just like fall on the floor. I've got massive amounts of pain and I don't know what it is. And like, could it be the endometriosis? Cause your body's starting to like shift and do things. So it might be like the, the scar tissues, like acting out and, you know, breaking apart, mm-hmm. or I could be having a miscarriage because usually you have a miscarriage in the first 12 weeks. And I, you know, I wasn't, I was in so much pain and I called my husband and we called the midwife and there, she was like, go to the hospital, you know, get an ultrasound. So on the way to the hospital, it was like a 30 minute drive and my pain had subsided, but now I was like, why did it subside? Is it because I lost the baby and like, that's done? Or did I just like, I have a momentary pain and it's over now. And while I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what if I did lose the baby? How, how would I, how would I feel about that? And how, how would I grieve? And should I grieve? And my mind went to every, like I have created and you have created and all of us who ever like read a book or seen a TV show or movie, you kind of have an amalgamation of all of these different I like characters that have sort of melded into one idea of the way people behave. So if you've seen like, there's a really fun episode of friends when Phoebe's water breaks and then everybody mm-hmm. rushes to the hospital, right. That's not what happens? You've had no. four children, your water breaks. I didn't know that. I didn't right. know. People Movies. Know. Are just... <laughs> They're so deceptive. And right. so if you, if you miscarry, you're supposed to feel a certain way because that's how you've seen it on TV. And so I started to think like, wait, would I, and I was almost like setting myself up to decide how to behave and how to respond to this, this, what I thought might be a miscarriage based on how other people have told me I'm supposed to behave and respond. And not that they've directly told me, but indirectly see it and you behave according to how you've seen other people behave, you know? And so I thought, wait, like, 
am I doing, am I like grieving or not grieving for me? Or am I doing it for other people? Do you know what I mean? And that just really messed with my head and made me realize how much of our daily lives are predicated upon the way we've already seen things done. Right. And, and a hundred percent, like when we're kids, we just soak up everything around us. And then, you know, I don't know about you, but I, before, before my son was born 10 years ago, I had never seen a birth except for those cliche, you know, the, the friends episode, I watched that one too. And all the other ones, you know, they're standing in the street and there's a puddle under them on the sidewalk. Ah, and yeah, I don't think, you know, they even said like, sometimes the water doesn't even break and it just comes out. So you're right. It's sort of like an amalgamation of like everything that you've seen. And and it's really not even that many you've maybe seen on TV Mm -hmm. or movies, maybe 10 at the most, you know, 10, 15 births. So you're taking, yeah, that's enough. But it's like, you know, Hollywood will, will do something like that as sort of like a representation of, of birth, right? They don't want to explicitly say, oh my gosh, I need to go to the hospital because my baby's going to be born. They can just say something quick, like my water broke. Yeah. And there's so many jokes you can play around it. Like, you know, I, I don't remember what movie it was, but somebody thought that they dropped their water bottle. No, no, no. That's my water. Right. Something like that. And <laughs> was it, I think it was in the office where probably, she, yeah. she faked her water breaking so they could get out of something and then the water <laughs> bottle fell off of her skirt. <laughs> Perfect. See, so it, exactly. So we have all these, these notions of what it means to deliver a baby. And one of them is the water breaking. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of them is like that euphoric glow that some of these moms feel and understandable that if you don't feel that euphoric glow that you think you know a whole bunch of thoughts I'm sure right like yeah with me or yeah uh, again there you you know you're getting all this medical information and that's uh, great that you put into your book the sort of like what your response to that information was and, and your experience and the ups the downs the the it was already bad enough kind of just being shocked by becoming a parent. And you know, I mean, you, you and your wife went through this, you just, you're just, it it is a complete, your world turns upside down. And so it's already hard without the depression. And then you add depression on top of it and then add anxiety on top of that. And you're just like, cause anxiety is paralyzing. So depression didn't paralyze me, but my anxiety paralyzed me. So I'd be sad and then frozen. And I can't afford to be sad and frozen. I have to smile at the baby and I have to pick him up in the middle of the night and my, my body physically ached for months after it really felt like I, I, and I don't think this is what it is, but it felt like fibromyalgia, like just like this chronic deep in my bones pain. And I, I, I didn't, I couldn't afford to have that. I mean, I was, I had to, who, who was going to pick up my child and nurse my child? Were you going to do it? Right. Else was going to do it. So I, I had to just sort of suffer through it. And I was really, really bad at acknowledging that I was suffering because that's what it was. It was, I was suffering through it and I didn't know how to say that out loud. I don't know why. I think a lot of it's like, well, a lot of it was guilt because my life was really good. Mm. And I live in Scottsdale, which is like a resort town. I don't know if you've ever been here. Scottsdale's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Surrounded by golf courses and resorts and in the, the Phoenix open and the Barrett Jackson, you have got like these amazing cars all over. It's, it's crazy here. Yeah. And my husband, uh, 
he, he owns his own company and was very successful. So I was able to just stay home with the baby. And what did I have to complain about? You know, and I felt guilty for complaining or feeling ungrateful. My parents are immigrants and they come from a pretty, pretty messed up area in the world. And so I know how bad it could have been had my parents not come here. I know what it's like to not have running water. I know what it's like to be afraid for your safety. And so I had, none of those things were an issue for me. And so I felt kind of like a little bitch for being upset. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's sort of that, uh, you know, internal dialogue or what are people thinking of me? Oh, these are first world problems, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yep. And, uh, and then, so putting that judgment on yourself, how did you, how did you get out of it? I know I'm not saying like, what is the cure for it, but like, what was your, what was your process of getting out of that postpartum depression? This isn't the process I would recommend to people, but this is just what happened because so for half the time I experienced it, I didn't know that that's what it was. I, I thought just I just, I just thought being a mom was awful because I had never been a mom before. So at the same time I became a mom, I experienced postpartum depression and anxiety. So to me, those were the same thing. Being a mom was being depressed and anxious. You know what I mean? So I had nothing else to compare it to. Um, I had, it's not like I'd been a mom before and wasn't depressed. You know, like if, if I had, didn't have it with my first, but with my second, I have two boys. Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I, spent like six months, maybe it's a little different in the book. I I compacted it more, but I think I spent like six months not knowing that I was depressed. And then a friend of mine, who's a therapist mentioned, Hey, do you know, do you think you might be dealing with postpartum depression, anxiety? And I felt like I got slapped in the face um, because it never occurred to me. I had never been depressed before. I never dealt with a mental health issue before. So it just, it just wasn't on my radar. You know, I, I never thought like, well, things are really horrible. So something might be off that just didn't occur to me. So once I found out, I actually just got more depressed that I was depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes right. sense. The judgment like, and uh, yeah. Well, I was like, what do I do with this? What am right. I supposed to do with this? I don't have time to deal with this, you know? Um, so I think around the time Sammy turned one and he could talk and just say a few words, but the words that babies say are words that usually express needs. So daddy, water, hungry. So at least I didn't have to anticipate his needs as much. And for some reason that really, really helped. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, or it could have just been a timing thing. Like maybe it had been a year. So my body was sort of like, you know, like settling down and my brain was acclimating to what was going on. Um, The anxiety stayed through my second child, but uh, because I had them, they were two years apart. So by the time I had like the depression had sort of subsided with Sammy. I was already pregnant with my second one. Wow. Um, and I was just sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Cause I knew, well, if that's happened with Sammy. I was like, it's going to happen again with Ronan, but now I've got two babies to deal with. And so my anxiety like spiked and I'd have panic attacks when, after I had my second one. Um, and so that stayed. And I noticed that that started to go away. Like I remember my last panic attack when Sammy was about, um, when Ronan was about five months old, um, it was August and I wanted to send Sammy to school so I could have some alone time with Ronan. And so he could have that one-on-one time. So I sent Sammy to school for three days a week, just three little half days. Um, but two hours before I had to pick him up from school, Ronan would take a nap. And I had two hours in the middle of the day to myself to recharge. And once that happened, I stopped having panic attacks. Um, 
I know correlation and causation can, you know, sometimes, but for me, I really felt like that, that was it. That was it. I had, and it wasn't at the end of the day because recharging at the end of the day is not the same as right. having a break in the middle of the day, you know? So I got to take a shower. I got to drink a cup of coffee. I got to read a book. Um, and then by the time Ronan woke up, I was kind of myself again. Nice. You got to be a human again that didn't have and, all their identity wrapped up in this little baby. That's right. They're so demanding. Babies that's are so demanding. If babies were adults, we would all be like, you're such a jerk. You're always asking me for stuff. And you, yeah, you for sure. You never say thank you. <laughs> we that's would not why people. Right. That's why they come out so cute. So like you have no choice, but just, oh, you're so cute. Okay. I'll help yeah, you. That's just, that's just biology and evolution for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Suzanne, I like uh, ending the show with giving my guests a chance to go really big picture. Uh, let's say you're called into like a university to give their commencement address or like a keynote speech at a corporation. So you're going to give your one minute motivational speech on how you think people can get the most out of their life. You can go whatever direction you want to go. There's no wrong answer. So uh, how to get the most out of your life. This is what you ask all your guests. All my guests. It's the last question. Oh my gosh. Um, I think the, from personal experience, the way to get the most out of life is to ask yourself if you were 80 years old and you were sitting in a rocking chair on your front porch, you know, that rocking chair test, yep. you were sitting on your front porch and you were looking back at your life. What are you happy that you did? And what are you happy that you didn't do? And that's always been really helpful with the really big decisions. Do I want children? was one of them, you know, when I'm 80 years old, I'm sitting in the rocking chair and there's nobody in the front lawn. Does that make me happy or sad? You know, things like that. So for me, the big picture was further down the road. Am I going to be happy that I did the thing or not happy that I did the thing? Am I going to be happy that I was brave and spontaneous? Cause you usually don't regret those things, you know? So for me, it's been the rocking chair test. Nice. I like that. The rocking chair test. Do you have a copy of your book right next to you? I do. Hold up. I do. Is it going to be backwards on the All screen? Right. Nope. It's uh, it's regular postpartum me. So I uh, really appreciate you joining me. Again, this is Suzanne Yatim Aslam. And uh, really appreciate you joining me on Health in the Real World today. Best of luck with your book. Thank you so much, Chris. It was good talking to you.